I'll be here next Sunday because we're in an eight-week series called Theology, Theology for Ordinary People. And today is week seven, next week being the last week. And if you're visiting with us or if you're watching online, welcome to you guys. For the, if it's you know, for the first time that you've been here in a while, the premise of this series is understanding God better so that we can know him better and be in better relationship with him. So that we've got a, a firm foundation for when things go wrong in our life. We want to know God and we want to know about him. And, and this word theology, sometimes it's, it can be a bit scary or it sounds a bit boring or something like that, but it's literally just about knowing God. It's talking about him. That's really what it is. And we've been following this book that I highly recommend called Theology, The Basics by Alistair McGrath. Although I must admit this week I'm not using much of his material, but certainly other weeks uh, I've been leaning heavily on that. And uh, I encourage you, if you want to read that yourself, you can. So far we've covered uh, creation, uh, understanding God, understanding Jesus, understanding the Holy Spirit and, and the Trinity. Uh, last week we did salvation, understanding salvation, which was a powerful week. Uh, next week will be heaven, which I can't wait for. And this week we're looking at the church and understanding the church. I know, in more ways than one, I can't wait for heaven. That was good pickup, whoever that was. But have you ever wondered, talking about the church, have you ever wondered how the church ended up where we are today? You know, there's thousands of denominations around the world. I know there's some really big ones, but there's thousands of little ones as well. How did we end up like that? Well, I just want to do a quick survey here about your church, our church backgrounds that are represented here today, just for a bit of fun. This is not a test, okay? There's no right or wrong uh, denomination here, so don't worry. Um, this is just for a little bit of fun, but if your background is kind of like mine, it's Methodist, it's Wesleyan Methodist, it's Uniting Church or something like that, can you just raise your hands? It's good on you guys. If your background is, uh, let's say, Presbyterian, raise your hands. Good on you guys. Love you guys. What about Baptists? We've got Baptists in the mix. Plenty of Baptists. Good. Get a few more of you guys. That'd be great. Church, any Church of Christ people from the background? There is a couple. What about um, the, the sort of the Pentecostal, Charismatic, AOG, AOC? Uh, ACC, C3, COC, all of the acronyms come from the... Yes, do that again, Pentecostal background, let's see them. Come on, be proud, you guys. We love you guys. Thank you for being brave, walking into a uh, conservative church like this one here. Oh, you're married, you're married in, that's one way to do it. Is there any Anglicans, any Anglicans here in the church? There is a few here. Any Roman Catholics here that are amongst us? That's your background. Excellent. There's a few of you here as well. And I'm sure there's some I've missed. You haven't put your hand up. Perhaps your background is a mixture, you know, or, or perhaps there's no church background before you're at Hills. That's awesome as well. I'm glad. Welcome to all of you. Before we look at the how, why, and what of the church, I want to give you a little glimpse of church, church history about why there was so many of us in all those different categories there. Let's have, just have a little look at this graphic on the screen here. And if you look at that, that grey bar to your left there, that's like the church coming out of the New Testament, right? They were, they were all kind of together. And then, yes, there was a couple little minor um, breakaways there, but the, in the 11th century there we have what we call the Great Schism. 
And this was really when the church uh, really it divided because you know the West and the East, the West in particular, or the East wasn't happy with the power that was going on with the West. They seemed to have too much control in Rome. And so they split and we had the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church, the red and the blue lines there. And if you follow that along, you'll also see um, out of, the, out of the, the Roman Catholic Church came the Reformation, and, and this is where the Protestant denominations were kind of birthed out of, and Martin Luther, of course, was a catalyst for that, and some of his friends, and you'll see some different lines there. And, of course, there's like thousands of lines that come out of these eventually over time. But uh, you'll see the Anglicans there in the light blue, and the Methodists came out of the Anglicans. And if, I, if my history for the Baptists is correctly, I think... Um, is it John Smith? I think he was an Anglican too. Um, but anyway, that, that just gives you a little bit of a picture of how we got to where we are today. And of course, the branches just keep going out and out and out. But it started with Acts chapter 2 in one little room and a very powerful moment when the Holy Spirit came. And that's how we ended up to where we are today. The Holy Spirit is still with us down through all of those branches. Well, we hope he is anyway. And I just want to say from the outset, Jesus loves the church. And so, so should we. And I know it has a lot of faults. You can probably put that graphic away, thanks, Sam. I know the church has a lot of faults. I know the church has been guilty of damage and of hurt and, quite frankly, has been sinful in many ways, in many places, over many years. Would we all agree with that? And I, I, you know, I know all that, and it shouldn't... It shouldn't be swept under the carpet, though. If there's one thing the church should do better than any other organization, it's actually own up and admit to its faults. You know, the church should be the ones that should go towards forgiveness first and quickly for healing. You know, we should pursue reconciliation and even restitution when needed. We have to learn from those mistakes and be determined to not repeat them because they don't represent Christ and they don't represent the bride. And, you know, it's okay, in my opinion, when churches do the wrong thing and it is exposed. You know, we, we shouldn't try to pretend that it... it I know it, makes, it can make us look bad to the world, but we want these things out in the open so that we can learn and change and the forgiveness and healing and all those sorts of things can happen. By and large, churches that harm people have been hijacked just by prideful people. And the wider church has at times done a bad job of holding leaders to account. You know, we're not all, we've not always stood firm against false teachers. We've not always done a good job of protecting vulnerable people. We, we know that. We've seen that in this country in particular. In some areas, the church has, has failed to resist temptation around money and fame. We've been guilty of having bad systems and processes and accountability. Guilty of those things. Of course, not all churches, but often enough that has done damage to the wider church and may have, it, sometimes it does damage to the message that we're supposed to be bringing. That's the impact. You know, we could go on for, for days actually about the failures of the church, but that is not the purpose of today's sermon. So my starting point is that Christ loved the church and therefore so do I and so should you. And if the church has hurt you or let you down, you deserve a sincere and compassionate Apology from a church leader, and, and I would offer myself to anyone who needs that or who wants that. I would give that to you no matter what hurt occurred to you. 
I don't, and I'm not talking about in this church, I mean, or in this church, yes, but in any church, no matter where. If, you've, if you ever want to share your story with me, I, I would listen. I promise to. I believe Jesus wants you to find healing because he wants you to have uh, love for his church like he does. The reason is because when the church is being the church, Jesus that Jesus wants it to be, the church is life-giving, not life-taking. And we know that sometimes it's taken life from people. The church really is the hope of the world because we're the one group of people who bring the good news of Jesus that all people need to hear and experience. And if you just find yourself sometimes being a little bit cynical, please find a way to overcome your cynicism because the church is the bride of Christ. You know, if you're bored with the church, I encourage you, help it be less boring. If you think the church doesn't deserve your time, I ask you to consider, would Jesus say the same thing? You know, we love the church because Jesus loves the church. If you're a follower of Jesus, he, he just wants you to be in that place too, I believe it. But the first question I guess I want to come back to is, what about all these divisions we talked about? There's all these denominations. The best way... To think of the universal church as like, I guess, like a family tree. And there's a lot of branches. And the branches sometimes all look different, but there's one vine, one trunk. That's what Jesus would describe himself as. But like all family trees, we've got different types of families. They look and act differently, but they're the same grandparents. And we still get along, right? Uh, Mostly. Sometimes in small doses, but that's okay. You know, will all of that go away when Jesus returns? I think so. I think so. But the key thing is that all those branches or denominations, including non-denominational churches, because in, in reality, non-denominational churches are their own denomination, right? <laughs> the key thing is that we're all connected to Jesus and our belief and orthodox understanding of him. Don't be confused. When I say orthodox, I don't mean the orthodox church. I mean, orthodox is a word that just means a, a common understanding and belief, essentially. It's the same as when we sometimes we, we say the Catholic church is a way to describe the universal church. It's separate. To, that's different to the Roman Catholic church, just to make that clear. But some of these branches, you know, they're growing and they're full of fruit. Others, are, they have been and not so much now. And, we, and, we, and you know, I think God wants them to turn that around and see the fruitfulness again. But we are all God's church. Today I want to talk about the essence of what makes a church a church of God. What, what really makes a church the church? I know it's us, obviously, not the buildings we're in. But, but what is it that makes it the church under the banner of Jesus? And the first thing is um, the word. And Martin Luther said, at its core, the word of God is preached. And if you want to know what, if, if a church is under the banner of Jesus, are they preaching the word is the first question you should ask. Here's what Luther said. Now, anywhere you hear or see the word of God preached, believed, confessed, and acted upon, do not doubt that the true holy Catholic church is in the universal church. A holy Christian people must be there even though there are very few of them, or if there are very few of them. For God's word shall not return empty, 
And even if there were no sign, then this alone, it would be enough to prove that a holy Christian people must exist there. For God's word cannot be without God's people. And conversely, God's people cannot be without God's word. For who would preach the word or hear it preached if there were no people of God? And what could or would God's people believe if there was no word of God? You know, for Luther, the essence of the church is the preaching of the gospel. And so much flows out of that. Where the word is, there is faith. Where the word is, there is faith. And where faith is, there is the church. If the preaching of God's word is absent or even rare, then there's a question mark, isn't there? Over their designation as a church, church of God. The second essence or element of the church is the sacraments. And again, sacraments are another essential element that we should see. The two sacraments that most Protestant churches practice are communion and baptism. We've had baptisms recently. We've talked about communion this morning. The Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox churches, they, they have seven. We call them sacraments because we understand them to possess a, a special spiritual significance. And at its heart, a sacrament is an outward, visible sign of an inward spiritual grace. And the, the two that we adhere to, they were instituted by Christ. And that's why we, we follow those two. We do those two sacraments. Now, I've preached two separate sermons on both of these sacraments in my past. And so I'm not going to dwell too much on this today. And you can find them on our website if you want to watch them. But the important thing I want you to remember today is that we believe that communion, communion and baptism are not just mere rituals. Okay, First, there's a connection between the ritual and what it represents. So there's... There's water, wine, and, and bread, or, or grape juice, of course, that we use here. And bread all represent something significant. You know, water is, it represents washing and, and cleaning and cleansing and purity. The baptism is, is, is an old person it put to death in the grave. It represents that and a new life uh, born in Christ. And we know the wine represents the shed blood. Of Jesus and the bread represents his broken body. But the second thing I want you to know is a sacrament has a spiritual significance. They not only point to God's grace that you have received, they are a means to it. You know, we believe that God is truly present in the elements of communion. That, that's actually one of our one of our doctrines. Now, our Catholic friends, they have a doctrine of transubstantiation. They, they actually believe their doctrine is that the bread um, is, the, is the actual body of Christ and the wine is the actual blood of Christ, that there is something that uh, God does in the act of the Eucharist that actually tra- transforms those things uh, for us. Well, we don't believe that. We believe that Christ is present in those elements most importantly, communion is a, a continual means of grace. You know, we, we should be eager to partake of communion for that reason, and we reverently partake out of remembrance because Jesus said that's what we should do. But as we come to that table and we partake, we only come because of what Jesus has done. We can only get that access to God because of what Jesus has done. And in that moment, once again, we receive that grace, that continual grace from our Lord. Do you hear what I'm saying? The third essence or element of the church is the gathering. 
And you knew I was going to say this one. But gathering is an essential element of the church. And, and again, you know this scripture from Hebrews 10, but I'm going to read it to you. Uh, and I want us to ponder it. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. There's a very important message in there for us. In other words, we need each other. We need each other. I do really need you, church. <laughs> and I hope you need me too. And I hope you need each other. We need to motivate each other to do good. That's what the author of Hebrews said. We need to encourage each other to keep going, you know, to run the race all the way to the finish line and it's because it's a long way off in the distance. For some of us, it's a long way off anyway. You know, it's, it's there and we need to encourage each other to get there. We need each other to grow deeper in our love for God and our love for each other. This is why God has given us spiritual gifts He's pulled them out across the church here. The gifts were given primarily for the benefit of the church body. They weren't for us just to, to hold for ourselves and for our own benefit. They were there to, to um, nurture and grow the church body. But gathering is essential, and the author of Hebrews is clear. Just don't neglect it. So I, encar I encourage you, let gathering on Sunday be a high priority. Not because I want to create a, a law for you in some kind of legalistic way. That's not what this is about. It's an encouragement to to accept the importance of it and commit to it. Be careful of things that can interrupt it. It's important. And parents, lead your family in this one. Show your kids how much you love God and how much you love the church. Give your kids every opportunity to be discipled and to grow up loving the church community. You know, we prayed for our high school camp leaders this morning. Let me assure you, those camps, they were formative for me as a teenager. And, I, and I'm so grateful for my parents who not only paid for it, but kind of maybe in the first, uh, a little bit reluctantly got me there. You know what it's like in your first year of high school camp. It's like, what am I doing here? This is nuts. It's like Lord of the Flies, you know. There's, there's craziness going on around me. I don't know anyone very well. But it was formative. It was important for me. And I'm so glad my parents did that for me. I, I tried to do the same thing for my two. Yes, they too found that first year or two scary, but they, they experienced a deep connection and discipleship each year that they were at camp, and I'm so proud that they're, they're leaders this year, and, and it's the same for many of you parents here today. I know that's not the same for everybody. The point I'm making is that this world, it's offering our kids lots of opportunities under the sun, and, and they tend to drag them away from their faith. And there, there is thousands of opportunities being offered to our kids and sadly, they end up walking away from the church. So we do what we can. We just do what we can. We pray, don't we? we? We bring our kids, we raise them to know Jesus as best we can. There's no guarantee. All of our kids have to make their own decision. And we, of course, we will love them unconditionally, always. But we give them every opportunity we can of demonstrating our love for God. And the one way we do that is we show them how much we love the church for all of her faults. The fourth thing is the going. Jesus said this. Remember, this is, these are the words of Jesus. It's in red in your Bibles. 
He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments that I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, which is an amazing promise when we consider the the rest of that passage. This is the very last instruction that Jesus left us before he ascended into heaven. So if it's the last thing he said, he wanted us to know it and remember it, yeah? We can't neglect it. He told us to go, yes, into all the world. And for us, the part of the world that we have the most responsibility for is right here in North Brisbane. Some people are called beyond this. We know that and we support them. But for us here, North Brisbane is the, is the go, is the all the world. We have a mission. Jesus was loud and clear. It wasn't just to his disciples at the time. It was for us. Every church has a mandate to reach their community with the good news of Jesus. And so my challenge for each of us here today is to consider how are we doing that? Because if as a church we're not seeing fruit in this area, if people aren't being saved, aren't encountering God, then we have to consider, are we fulfilling this mandate, this mission that God has given us? I'm not saying this to guilt you into anything. I'm not say- I am saying this to encourage you to consider what part you, you're, you're, playing, you're playing. If you've been here for a while, you know we have a very simple strategy for reaching, for reaching people. You know, especially for those who aren't the gifted evangelists. I'm not a gifted evangelist, so this strategy is for me, and it's, it's just got two bits to it, and it's very simple, and here's what I want you to take with you today. Number one is you pray for someone. You pray for opportunities. It's very biblical. Paul said it at least two times that I can find. Would you pray for me that I would have opportunities? So in other words, God will bring something to us an opportunity to us to open a door. If we're not a gifted evangelist, those guys tend to go out and open, they're kind of kicking down the doors themselves. They're looking for the opportunity, if you know what I mean. If you're like me, it's like, God, please bring me the opportunity, would you? Okay, his scripture says you can do that. We can pray for that. But how often do we do that prayer? I want to encourage you today. Pray for an opportunity. And the second part of our strategy is take it when it comes. Yeah, it's pretty hard, hey? It's a complicated one. God opens the door. There's an opportunity, we take it, and sometimes taking that opportunity is a real simple thing of inviting them to Alpha. That's it. Pray and invite. If, if there's a better opportunity and someone actually wants to ask you about your faith, awesome. Don't miss that one. You just got to tell them your story, what God has done for you. But I think Alpha is the best thing to invite them to. to be, and, and I believe God has his hand on Alpha. It's all around the world, and there's millions of people who are part of Alpha, and, and, um, and they say that a, a very big um, minority, in other words, probably less than 50%, but a good number of people commit to Christ through Alpha. You know, I have a dream that we would get to a point as a church where Alpha runs you know, three or four times a year even. It'll, it'll be back-to-back. There'll be, there'll be a pastor, perhaps. Who, that's all they do, maybe, is, is Alpha. And all we're doing is inviting people to it. There'll be constant opportunities to invite someone. We're running Alpha right now. Tonight's our last night of the season. We've got a handful of seekers who've been coming. They're fantastic people. They're exploring faith. I love it. I love it. And I want to encourage you, church. I really want it to be part of our DNA. I encourage you to be thinking about that. We'll be doing another Alpha down the track. And when it comes time, I encourage you to get involved, mostly by inviting someone if you can. All right, the fifth thing, the fifth uh, essence that makes the church, the urge is the caring. And again, it's the words of Jesus. 
and he's in Matthew 25. That's an amazing chapter in the Bible. We should read it often. This is what he said. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Well, that sounds, like, that sounds good. I, w- I want God to say that to me one day. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. If you know the rest of Matthew 25, you know that Jesus said how we treat the least in our community is literally how we treat Jesus. And I think Jesus will judge the church on this yardstick. It's important for us. You know, just this week I met with a representative from a prison fellowship. And um, he invited himself to come and see me and it was great. I'm glad he did. And I was just fine. He was telling me about what they do in the prisons. And I was very encouraged by the great work they do. Uh, but one of the things he said to me was, you know, sometimes, Nathan, we're just looking for churches that we can send ex-prisoners to. Because not every church, quite frankly, can do it. And so he was asking some questions about you guys, about us. And I thought about it and I said, you know what, I think yes. I think yes, we would be a church that you could send people to. Because I know that we've helped... I mean, we're all broken ourselves, aren't we? But we've helped many very broken people over the years. Obviously, we would need help and support from, from that organisation, uh, particularly for their families. But I, I think this church has demonstrated their willingness to have open arms to all people. It is, after all, in our mission statement. Good. Yeah, some people have, I know. They have been to prisons. So I wonder if God will give us that opportunity. We'll see. The challenge is for us to be careful not to become a church that needs to always be comfortable, yeah? You know, we need to stretch ourselves to have the heart that Jesus had for, for the vulnerable and for the hurting. We help struggling people. You know, our counselling service every week, there's families coming through there from our community, not, not from the church here, but literally from around us who have got a lot of hard stuff going on. And, and we do a good job of helping them. Our op shop and other ministries support people all the time as well. But there's more to come in this area, is what I think God is saying. The sixth thing that's essential in the church is the presence. Ephesians 2.22, And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Just think about that verse slowly. Built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What is the essence of the church? The presence of the Holy Spirit in us. God's presence in this building is because he's in you and I. He's not in the walls and ceiling of the building. He's in you and I. People should encounter the presence of God when they walk in here on Sundays or any other time because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We know that in Old Testament times, God's presence resided in the temple. And people had to go there. Now he lives in me. The same for any ministry of this church. God's presence is the essence of what makes a church. The church was born out of the arrival of the Holy Spirit in a room of believers in Acts chapter 2. I wish I could have been there. There is no church without the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Those are the six I came up with. And I reckon you could all come to me and say, I've got a couple more. Pastor, and I know. 
I know there's more, but time is limited, and six points in a sermon is already three too many, right? <laughs> so we'll go with six today. The essence of God's church is the word should be preached, yes. The sacraments should be taken. The gathering should happen. The going should be part of our core. The caring is who we are. The presence of the Holy Spirit is experienced. So as we finish, let me tell you what the church shouldn't be. It shouldn't be for our glory or fame. And that goes especially for the pastor. That's not the church. That's not Jesus. The church also shouldn't be an attempt to be some kind of exclusive garden of Eden where everything and everyone is perfect and clean and managed well and, and the broken in our community. You know, we've got like a, a fence around it. They're kind of peering over the top. That's not the church. That's not Jesus. The church shouldn't be a resort where we, we have a, a really pleasing place where we can sit back by the pool and, and have a drink and relax and be comfortable. That's not the church. That's not Jesus. The church gets into the yuck and mess of people's lives and provides hope. The church provides meaning. The church provides healing. It's more of a hospital than a resort. The church provides a place for people to belong. And I love the church. I know we're not perfect. I love the church. And I invite you today, if that's not you, consider a change of your thinking to embrace all the good that the church does and work Humbly to change the bad. And I say humbly to change the bad because some people try to change the bad without humility. Listen, when I was talking about this to Mark on Friday about all the reasons people might have for being cynical about the church, he pointed out that Jesus has more reason than anybody else. For all the stuff that we've done to harm the bride, he still loves the bride. He would still die for her. We're part of it. It's good. It's exciting. Let's get involved. Let's give to her and support her. Let's pray earnestly for her. Let's defend her and let's love the church like Jesus does. Who's with me today? All right, let's stand and pray together. Father, you've, you created the church, it was your idea, and we are here today because of you. Every single person here, Lord, here because of you. And, and we have much to be grateful for. But Lord, um, as, the, as the head of this church, you know, the CEO, um, we look to you again today, and we call on you, Father, to grow your church. Lord, uh, I pray that you will... Um, Continue to transform us to be in your image, to be like you are, Lord Jesus, to be the church, the New Testament church that, that you had in mind. You know, the one that gathers, the one that reads the word, the one that uh, remembers you in the, in its, through the sacraments, Lord, the, the church that cares for the, the broken and the lost and the prisoner and the, and the needy, Lord, the church, Father, that um, just loves to worship you, the church where people can belong. God, all those things... We need you and we pray, God, that through your Holy Spirit's power that they will be accomplished. And Lord, that you would just change our hearts and Lord, that you would pour out your gifts on your church for the benefit of the church and your kingdom. And God, lastly, I want to pray for those here today who have been hurt by the church. I want to pray for them, Lord. I ask now, Father,
that you would extend your hand of healing. Lord, where there's still hurt in the heart, where there's still memories, Lord, that, um, that affect people. Lord, I pray healing for them. Help them to find how they can reconcile. Help them to find, Lord, if there needs to be justice, let there be justice, Lord. Where there needs to be forgiveness, let it flow, Lord Jesus. Let it flow. But we know you, uh, the church will stand. We know that you open and close churches, but the church will, will, will persevere. But God, we pray that it will be um, a blessing to this world, that it'll be the shining light the city on the hill like the high school camp kids are going to learn about. I pray that for this church and for every church around us here, Lord, whatever their denomination, Roman Catholic, Church of Christ, Baptist, ACC, C3, whatever it is, Lord, we pray for them all this morning. We pray for all of them that in this part of Brisbane, God, that there would be healthy, growing, effective churches, Lord, in unity, Lord, that there would be, uh, that together, Father, that this part of Brisbane would change, the culture would change for your sake and for your glory. We ask for that, God. Unite us together, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.